But if you have your Bibles, I'm going to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 28. While we were, the, the weeks and months leading up to the trip, praying and fasting and seeking the Lord of God, what would you have us say? I really could not struggle getting the mind of God about what, what he would have me share. And the wonderful thing about technology and iPads, there's somewhere between six and 700 messages on this iPad that preached over the years and resources and uh, commentaries and all different kind of things. And anywhere you go in the world, as long as it's got power, you've got access to that uh, mine of, of resources and messages. But in looking through all of that, I, I still could not really get the mind of God. And I just said, Lord, you're going to have to to, to lead me to what you'd have me say. And as soon as I got on the plane in Pensacola, headed to Miami, I was just praying, meditate on the Lord, and it was as if the heavens opened and God began uh, dealing with my heart on these verses, verses that I've preached in this pulpit many times. And as a matter of fact, some of the points that God rebirthed in my spirit were points that we've preached in the past before. But there were some new things that he brought out to me, and I, I don't believe that this was just a message for Cuba, but I believe it's a message for the church at large, and especially with us as we're coming off the heels of a camp meeting where God stoked the flames and God gave victory to uh, hearts and lives around these altars. I believe he has a word for us tonight about what we need to do on our end to maintain victory and to maintain the fire of God. And so... Uh, we're going to read tonight from Acts chapter 28. We're going to read verse 1 through 10. Very familiar passage of Scripture. You're going to have to overlook this voice tonight. I, I do not feel the best. And somehow, over the past two days, if I had a dollar for every time I've sneezed, I, I might not have to work for a day or two. But I managed to pull something in my back in rib cage, And I can tell you, it's going to be real fun trying to preach with that tonight. But uh, you just bear with us and pray with us that the Lord would touch us in body tonight. But the, it reads as this in Acts 28, verse 1. <coughs> and when they were escaped, then they knew the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. For they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, and laid them on the fire. They came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Verse 5 says that he shook off the beast into the fire, and he felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they looked a great while and so no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a God. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. 
And when we departed, they loaded us with such things as were necessary. I want to draw your attention back to verse number three, where the Bible says that Paul gathered together a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. There came out a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. I want to preach tonight, if the Lord will help us for a few moments, on this simple thought, keepers of the flame. Keepers of the flame, if you will, stretch forth your hand this way and ask God to help us and anoint us tonight. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for the privilege that we have to come and be in your house tonight. Not in a communist regime or government, not in a place that's uh, suppressive of the gospel, but Father, we are here tonight not under fear of threat or persecution, Father, we're not here looking over our shoulders wondering what anybody's going to say or think, but you blessed us in enabling us to come to this place tonight. I'm asking for the youngster and the anointing to deliver what you've laid upon our hearts. God, I, I'm asking for your hand and your touch in this feeble body tonight. God, I pray that while I'm weak, I pray that you may be made strong. God, we're going to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says amen. And amen. To find out how Paul got to Melita, we have to look back at Acts chapter number 27. And it's here that we can read how Paul survived the Eurachlodon, which is a, a hurricane or a northeastern. That's uh, Eurachlodon. Uh, if you were to break down that word, it's uh, broken down into two words, which is where we get the word northeastern. We know that in the, the northern part of the country, how um, bad winter storms, those northeasters, they uh, can create high seas and, and uh, very strong storm surge. And that's what Paul survived. This was, I believe, an attempt from hell to keep the gospel from going to Rome. Because we know that uh, Paul, God had laid on his heart and through prophecies and through uh, words that were confirmed that it was the will of God for Paul to go to Rome and to preach the gospel. Even though he was in chains and in fetters and even though he was bound as a prisoner, it was the will of God for him to carry the gospel unto Rome. And this is while he was on the ship headed to Rome that he found himself and the, the shipmates with him found themselves in the storm. But notice, while the storm may have delayed Paul and while the storm may have pushed Paul off course, it could not stop the will of God. Yes, he had to deal with a delay and yes, he had to, lead to, to deal with the detour. But we're going to find in this story tonight that God was in the delay and God was in the detour. You see, we don't like detours. We don't like going out of our way and if we're going somewhere A to B, we don't like any uh, um, turnpikes that lead us off that direction. But sometimes God is in the detours. God was in this detour with Paul. And not only was it the will of God for him to go to Rome, that had already been proven. And, but while Paul did not have Melita on his map and on a checklist, it was on God's map and checklist for the gospel to also go to Melita. So there's going to be times, we've already talked about the storms that we go through in our life tonight. There's going to be times that we have to endure storms that 
They may delay us and they may detour us. But if God's will, if it is God's will, a storm will never uh, be allowed to deny the will of God. Paul, as he survived the storm, he found himself on the island of Melita. There's some lessons that we can learn from this island in this place tonight. The Bible tells us in verse 1 of Acts 28 that when they came to Melita, when they were escaped from the storm, they found themselves on the island. And the Bible says the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. That's not a barbarian as we would think of, of someone that's ruthless and terrible, but simply a barbarian in Bible days was one that did not speak the same language. If someone had a different vocabulary, did not speak the same language, they were referred to as barbarians. So these people, we know that they did not speak of or have the Hebrew tongue or even <coughs> the Greek tongue. But they did build them a fire. And we know that when they were on this island, Paul didn't have a ship. He didn't have supplies. He didn't have a bag. He didn't have anything. They survived literally on broken pieces of the ship. But at this point in time in our scripture, they could be without a boat. They could be without supplies. But they would not live without the fire. They would not be able to survive without the fire in, in these cold waters and in this particular region and at this particular time, these were freezing waters. And it wouldn't take long for hypothermia to set in. This, was, this fire was a matter of life and death for Paul. And as we look at this in the spiritual, I can tell you folks that the fire is a, always a representation of the Spirit of God. And the fire of God is a matter of life and death for the church. We can do without a lot of things, but we cannot do without Holy Ghost fire. We can do without some of the possessions as Paul did on the boat. We can do without a little bit of comfort and luxury that we have. Oh, but we cannot live one day without the fire of God burning and operating in the church. I can tell you folks, no matter how bad it gets economically and politically and socioeconomically, financially, physically, we must prioritize the fire again. For them, it was a priority for the fire to be present. And if there's anything we need in this generation, it is once again for the fire of God to burn and to be a priority in our lives. It's still a matter of life and death. It's still a matter of survival. If we're going to have anything in this life, let's prioritize and be full of the fire of Almighty God. Notice some things about this fire. Number one, Paul and his men did not build the fire. The fire was built for them. When they come on the shore, they were warming by a fire that they did not build. And I can tell you this sounds a lot like the modern church. Come on, say amen to me somebody. We're dependent upon somebody else building the fire for us. We're depending upon the preacher to have the fire of God prayed down and just hoping that, uh, that, that, that we can be a recipient of someone else's fire. Paul was 
working for a fire that he did not build uh, and that he did not produce. And that's the way that a lot of church people sit in the pews today. They are dependent upon somebody else's fire. The fire was built by the inhabitants of Melita, which as we look at the characteristics of these people can be a perfect representation and type of the church. Number one, these people on Melita, they showed kindness. That's what the Bible says. Uh, that the Barrios people showed us no little kindness, which means they showed us great kindness. Uh, if there's any place uh, on this planet uh, that people should find kindness, it is in the house of God. Amen. Amen. If there's any place where the kindness and the goodness of God should abound, it should be inside of the church and not just in the four walls of the church, but in the life of the believer. Amen. I've come to the conclusion that there's a lot of people that walk around that are bitter that seem angry, cold and callous, never willing to extend a helping hand. The Bible calls it they have shut up their bowels of compassion. The only thing I can say is that they don't have the same Jesus I have. Amen. Because what we have freely received, the Bible tells us to freely give. And as God has shown us kindness, and as God has given unto us His goodness, we should be reflectors of that and reciprocate the kindness and the goodness of God. These islanders of Melita is a perfect example for the church to follow. Amen. They had they could have shut their, their borders and said, you're not welcome here. You're not our kind. You're not our people. You're not welcome. We're going we're gonna to shut you down. Go somewhere else. Swim with the current. There's another island down the road that you can go to. They may help you. But the, 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 uh, the own light is off. We're closed for business. No, that's not how they operate. They saw the need and they received them and showed them great kindness for the world that's lost and undone and dying and going to hell. Amen. We should be reflectors of the kindness of God. Number two, not only did they show them kindness, but they welcome the hurting. You see, the church must always be a place where the shipwrecked, the broken, the undone, those that are hurt can come to and find help and help. Can you say amen? The church must always be a place where those that are broken by the elements of life can come to when they're down and find the life of Christ. Thirdly, we see not only do they show them kindness, not only do they welcome the hurting, but they welcome them with fire. The church owes the world the fire of God. I'm going to say that again. The church owes the world the fire of God. Amen, as we claim to be, uh, amen, recipri uh, re recipients of the fire of God. Uh, and so many, for so many in this hour, the fire uh, has become an ember, uh, or the fire has gone completely out. Uh, but if there's any place, uh, amen, that the world should expect the fire, uh, it should be in the house of God. Uh, oh, it should be the, in the lives uh, of 
the believers. They are a type of the church. Every one of these characteristics are things that we must portray and we must exude in this hour. Amen. Characteristics, showing kindness, helping the hurting, and being reflectors of the fire of Almighty God. While Paul did not build this fire, the fire became personal to him. He was not the, the originator, the originator of the fire. But Paul had the foresight and the vision that if somebody doesn't go out and gather some wood, that this fire is going to go out. The fire became personal to Paul. So he rolled up his sleeves and he went to work. Amen. The church must have the forward vision to realize that while we did not work to build the fire that I'm preaching to you about tonight, this fire fell in Acts chapter number 2 on the day of Pentecost. We did not work to produce this fire, but it is a necessity that we keep this fire going. You see, it's on God and it's dependent upon God to send the church the fire. But it is dependent upon us to keep that fire going. I'm going to say that again. It's on God to send the fire. But it's on us to keep it going. It's on us to stir up the fire. As a matter of fact, Paul, the same man we're preaching to you about tonight, he wrote to his young contemporary Timothy. And he told him to stir up the gift of God that is within you. You look up that phrase, stir up in the Greek. It means, son, fan the flame. Stoke the embers. Stir up the fire of God that is in you. In other words, he was saying, Timothy, no matter what you do, no matter how high you feel, no matter how low you get, no matter how bad you're accepted or rejected, no matter if you're in good health or in bad health, no matter if you're preaching fiery and you've got all of the world running to the altars, or whether you preach and you can't buy an amen with a hundred dollar bill, son, don't let the fire go out. Keep the fire up. Let the fire of God be personal to you. God has granted you the fire. God has granted you the Holy Ghost. God has granted you His anointing, His job, and giving you the fire is complete. It's on you, son, to keep the fire going and burning in your life. What a message for us today. We must stir up the gift of God. We must keep the fire going. That is dependent upon us. Oftentimes the climate in our church service is not dependent upon God. He's given us the fire. We can't blame God when the fire is not ablaze when we've not stoked it in a month of Sundays. It's not God's fault. He's done His job. It's apathy and a lack of concern on our part that we've let the fire of God dwindle and die. Paul had the vision. He said, if we're going to make the fire personal to us, 
somebody's going to have to go get wood. You see, fire requires two things. It requires an energy source and an oxygen source. If there's no energy, if there's no wood, if there's no structure, if there's nothing to fuel the flame, then that fire's going to go out. Secondly, if there's no oxygen, that fire's going to die. We know that oxygen is a representation and a type of the Spirit of God. On the day of Pentecost, there was a fire that fell on them. The Bible says cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them. It's a representation of the Holy Ghost. But it says also that there was a sound from heaven like as of a rushing mighty wind. That was the breath of God. God breathing His Spirit on the church. Hallelujah. Amen. Fire requires two things, an energy source and an oxygen source. So Paul said, the breath, the oxygen source, that's coming down from heaven. But I've got to do my part in gathering some wood. You see, if we're going to be a keeper of the flame, somebody's got to gather some wood. Somebody's got to roll up your sleeves and lay some wood on the fire. Because if they didn't, the fire was going to go out. To have what nobody else has. God put this heart on my heart so strongly Friday morning. To have what no one else has. You must do what nobody else will do. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But you may ask the question. What is spiritually speaking? What is the wood? Physically. Paul went out and gathered some sticks and laid it on the fire. That's the energy source that the fire required. But in the spiritual sense, what is that wood? I can tell you, you and I are the wood. You and I are the sacrifice. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 12, verse number 1, to be not conformed uh, uh, unto this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to prove that which is the good the acceptable, the uh, perfect will of God. But it also says to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. We are the sacrifice. You and I are the sacrifice. Uh, Amen. God's looking, uh, amen, for kindling, for wood uh, that He can burn for His glory. Uh, you and I are the conduits for the fire. Uh, you and I are the vessels uh, that God wants to consume and burn uh, with His glory. Uh, amen. We don't have to gather out physical sticks. Uh, no, but we must lay ourselves upon the altar uh, and say, once again, oh God, uh, would you burn in me? Uh, would you set my life ablaze? Uh, burning with the fire of the Holy Ghost. You and I are the wood that God is looking for. Vessels that will lay ourselves down that will say, it's not about me, but it's all about you, Lord. Let your Holy Ghost burn in me greater than ever before. We must be keepers of the flame and we must lay ourselves down so that the glory of God can burn in us again.
Notice what happened. I've got to hurry tonight. Notice what happened when Paul became a keeper of the flame. When Paul prioritized the fire of God, something happened. The Bible tells us in verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. It was when Paul prioritized the fire that the enemy began to attack. You see, we only read of one hand being bitten by the snake in this story. But the snake attacked the hand of the one man doing the work. He didn't bother anybody else. But the one man that prioritized the fire. You see, snakes are cold-blooded animals. They, while they move around in the summertime, they like to hang out in cool places. As long as you're cold in spirit, you don't have to worry about many attacks from hell. Just it is what it is. Because I've learned in ministry, hell is only going to attack those that are a threat. And for those that are actually doing something for the kingdom, you're going to fight him tooth and toenail every step of the way. It seems like everywhere you turn, you're under some type of attack. You ask the question, why is it? Why is it? Do, does it seem that uh, I'm uh, every aspect of my life that seems like I have to fight hell? Brother Eddie said that there's some, there was somebody at Bible Way that came to him and said, Brother, we quit. Said, we didn't have any of these problems when we were living in the world. But the second that we gave our heart and life to God, it seems like hell is fighting us uh, tooth and toenail, and we can't take it anymore. Sounds like to me they needed to keep going. Because the devil only attacks those that are a threat to him. The devil only attacks those that have prioritized the fire. He's only going to attack those that are working. I can tell you if you're laboring for the Lord and you're putting your hand to the gospel plow and working and all of hell is coming against you. The Bible says every man that puts his hand to the plow and turneth back is not fit for the kingdom of God. When we go through amen, demonic and satanic attacks, it's not a time to wave the white flag of surrender. It's only time to double down in the plow even harder to stoke the flame even more. Hallelujah. To keep on working. To keep on plowing and keep on fighting for God. And remember if hell is fighting you tonight. It's for a reason and a purpose. Hell only attacks those that are out working for the kingdom of God. I'm not saying he don't attack the sinner. But I can tell you he fights us a whole lot harder than he fights them. We've got a whole different bundle of problems to worry about than they've got. Amen. But we have to endure the attacks because we're working for the kingdom of God. Anytime you make the fire a priority, you can expect two things. Number one, you can expect spiritual attack. The only hand that that viper attacked was the 
was the one man concerned about the fire. Anytime you double down and make up in your mind, you're going to go deeper and further with God. The fire of the Spirit begins to burn and churn in you. You can look for and expect spiritual attacks. Sometimes it may be a storm that you have to endure. Other times it will be an attack when all of hell itself seems to set its eyes on you. But you can find joy in that. And I know it sounds strange finding joy in persecution. But Jesus Himself said it in this world. You shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. You're not the only one that hell is targeted. And I'd rather be one that is numbered among the righteous. And having to endure assaults of hell. Then I had to be one numbered among the unrighteous that hell leaves alone. Say amen to me somebody. Amen. Be not weary in well doing. For we'll reap in due season if we faint not. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against us in judgment. The Bible says we shall condemn. When you're going to prioritize the fire. You can expect spiritual attacks. But number two. You can expect spiritual power. Hallelujah. You can count on it. It's going to happen. Hell is going to fight you. Amen. But you hear this preacher tonight. God's power is always going to be greater than hell's attack. God's power is always going to be greater than hell's attack. Paul gathered sticks, threw them on the fire, and out of the heat came a viper fastened on his hand. And you may ask, what was the response? The Bible says that Paul shook off the beast into the fire, and he felt no harm. Hallelujah. God's spiritual power in Paul was greater than hell's spiritual attack on Paul. Hell meant to destroy the man of God. But God sent a miracle. Amen. The Bible says that they all expect him to die. For him to puff up. For him to fall over dead. But when Paul shook off the serpent, he felt no harm. And he kept right on working for the kingdom of God. God's power, supernatural power is always going to be greater than hell's attack to try to stop the gospel. I'll say it again. No weapon formed against us is going to be allowed to prosper. Yes, hell's going to fight. Yes, weapons are going to be formed. But God's power in His church is always greater. Notice the response from the crowd. They said, though this man escaped the sea, he's a murderer. Vengeance had not suffered him to, to live. But when Paul shook off the serpent into the fire, it said they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. And after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds. That's a message in itself right there. When they saw an all-out assault from hell on the man of God, what was enough to kill most people, 
There was enough venom poured into that man. They expected him to be dead in just a handful of minutes. But they watched his life. They watched him. They kept their eyes on him. They had their opinions. They had their thoughts. They had their notions of what was going to happen. But when they saw the man of God take the blow from hell itself and keep on ticking, the Bible says that they changed their mind. I can tell you, folks, the world always has and always will watch the lives of the believers. And it ought to be up to us to live in such a way that we change the minds for the gospel's sake. When we endure hell's best shot and we don't get bitter and we don't wave the flag of surrender and we don't quit and we don't back up and we don't back down, they may call us old-fashioned, old fogies, holy rollers, that we may be made fun of and labeled today. But when the fire of God burns and they see the consistency in your life and they see the testimony of the gospel in your life, labels can die. Thought processes can die. And we can change their minds. I believe there's coming a day when the world is going to change your mind about the church. If it keeps going the way that it's going in this country, God help us. When we become, it's we're breakneck speed going towards socialism. And this country is being rocked straight to sleep. I wish I could take every single American to Cuba tonight to see this socialistic, socialistic, communistic paradise and utopia that they created. I can tell you it's anything but a utopia. When you can't get to a doctor, when you don't have food to eat, when you need a miracle, they're going to remember the church that they made fun of. <laughs> Their minds are going to be changed when they need a man or a woman of God to lay their hands on them for God to give them a miracle. Let's live our lives in such a way that we can change the minds for the gospel's sakes. Notice this. And this is good. And I can't take credit for this thought. But notice this. The same fire that brought the serpent out also did the serpent in. The same fire that was burning that brought him out and caused him to attack also did him in. That was the same fire that he died in. That's why we can't afford to let the fire go out. God's fire will always be greater and hell's attack. Notice how God received the glory in all of this. God used the detour for his glory. They were on the island of Melita. God used a storm and a snake bite that was meant for Paul's destruction to be used for the people's deliverance. After Paul changed the minds of these Individuals on Melita. 
The chief of the island was there. Put him up in their house for three days. The Bible says courteously. And it came to pass that his father was three days. Or, or his, his father lay sick of a fever, fever and a bloody flux. But the Bible says of Paul that he prayed for him. He laid his hands on him. And God healed him. The same hand that the devil attacked was the same hand that God anointed. The same hand that the devil attacked was the same hand that God anointed. God's anointing will always be greater than the devil's attack. <laughs> Hallelujah. You may say, I'm going through it. Preacher, I'm going through it tonight. It seems like I'm all and all out of salt in every aspect. Everywhere I turn, it seems like it's fight after fight after fight, struggle after struggle. God can anoint you in the middle of your attack. And Paul did not lose that anointing. As a matter of fact, you could argue that his anointing was greater after the attack than it was before it. But the same body that the devil is attacking now is the same body that God will anoint to complete his will. And folks, it brought about revival on Melita. The Bible says after Publius' father was healed, it said that so when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. Revival broke out on Melita. An unplanned and unsolicited and an unscheduled revival broke out. You may ask why Paul had to endure the storm. He had to endure a snake bite that was enough to kill him. But God worked right in the middle of all of that to bring about revival. You may be in a storm, Kirsten, if you will help me. <coughs> I'm through tonight I wish I had strength to preach like I felt it tonight you may wonder why the attack and the assault but always remember God can send an unexpected revival right. in spite of the attack and the assault God Things may be not progressing on your schedule like you want them to. If it was up to me four years ago, I, after we left, we'd have been right back. But in that four years, God's been working behind the scenes to align everything up just right for his will. And this time, and I don't like delays. I don't like detours. But we can't get ahead of God. The delays may be of God's doing. They never would have gone to Melita without that storm. God allowed the storm to push them to where he wanted them to be, at a place where he could send revival and he could get the most glory. His power, his glory, his anointing was put on display for barbarous people to see and never be able to deny. Amen. I believe God is calling us to be keepers of the flame. 
We just wrapped up camp meeting to where the fire of God is burning and hearts and lives may be stronger than at other times throughout the year. You've got two choices. You can let it die or you can be a keeper of the flame. You can just watch it burn and begin to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle and go out. Or you can lay yourself down as a sacrifice. Say, God, consume me and let the fire burn greater than ever before. Stir up the gift of God and see God's wonder be displayed in your life. I want to be a keeper of the flame. I want to keep the fire of God burning, stirred up in my heart and in my life. Amen. How many of you will join me in that tonight? Come around these altars tonight and say, Oh God, stir up the gift of God within me. Stir up the flames. Fan the flames. Stoke the fire, oh God. Don't let it go out. Let it burn greater than ever before. Oh God, I pray that you'd use this feeble attempt for your glory tonight.